next chapter, the kids have decided not to trust Eric, but they are going to meet him at his house. Rachel and Tobias staying outside as backup. Rachel ready to go grizzly. Um, I appreciate that they clearly stay here, that Rachel is within the range of Axe's thoughts speak, mm-hmm. that they can call her at any time, mm-hmm. which makes what happens later really good. <laughs> and just very Rachel. Um, but Kay, uh, Jake, Cassie, Axe, and Marco are all going into the meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, they knock on the door. Um, Axe is perplexed as to why you knock on doors. It's adorable. Um, and then uh, Eric's father, Mr. King, opens the door. And uh, they've got two dogs, a Labrador mix and a fat little terrier. Um, and this is a very normal thing. It was like, just like the TV's on mute. Uh, they ask um, if they want drinks or anything. Cassie pets one of the dogs. And Mr. King's like, oh, you like dogs? And just like, she likes any animal. She even likes skunks. But Mr. King like repeats this point about, do you like dogs? And Cassie's just like, if reincarnation were real, I'd want to come back as a dog. Mr. King smiled, nodding as if Cassie had just said something profound. Would you all come with me? Now, reading this, knowing because of dumb kids the deal or a limited amount of the deal, I was just like, I knew dogs were important. But reading this, if I hadn't known that, I'd be like, what is the deal with the dog? I get it. Dogs are great. But what the <laughs> fuck? This is weird. It's good, but it's weird. <laughs> um, that's my very insightful book critique. Um, but yeah, they go for a very normal kitchen, go down the stairs into the basement. Axe is like slowly morphing back and uh, Marco approves because then the tail is available. Um, and Mr. King seems utterly unsurprised by the appearance of an andalite. Mm-hmm. Um, the basement drops like an elevator. Um, Marco cracks a joke about a department store gag. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, the entire wall of the basement disappears. Uh, it's all filled with golden light. Uh, this door uh, disappears. And then there's this massive chamber filled with golden light. And going in there, it's spring grass, a big orb in the sun, a big orb like a sun, and like a football field long size park. There's trees, there's grass, flowers, butterflies, squirrels. More androids mm-hmm. um, with mouths all almost like muzzles, clumsy looking legs, and stubby fingers. But it wasn't the presence of half dozen or so androids that was really shocking. What was really shocking was that there were hundreds, maybe even a thousand dogs. Normal, everyday earth dogs, every breed and half breed you could imagine, running in packs, yipping, yapping, bow wowing, howling, growling, rough, roughing dogs. They were chasing squirrels, smelling each other, and generally having a great old time. Jake, Cassie, and I stood there with our jaws hanging open like complete idiots. If Axe had possessed a mouth, he would have been hanging it open too. It was doggy heaven. Dogs and robots in a huge underground park. Uh, one of the robots comes up, the hologram shimmers around it. Derek, welcome, he said. I guess you're probably a little surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just incredible. Yep. They, they have a flair for the dramatic, clearly. Uh-huh. I approve yeah. of a flat for the dramatic. Uh, so Eric explains that 
he and his people are called the Chi. Um, they're androids, uh, but they are, they were slash are the creation of, uh, another species, um, called the Pemelites. Um, Eric kind of takes the Animorphs through a walk, on a walk through this park. Um, Jake asks why he's showing them all of this. Um, and Eric explains it's because he wants them to trust him. Um, and because he has a lot of information on them that is very dangerous, he wants to give them some information so that, uh, they feel more on solid ground. Um, <coughs> I was like, and, this, the, the dig, just what, before we get into the series, like, mm -hmm. we have this moment where, uh, the Pel, he says how the Pemelites, a hundred thousand years before the Andalites learned to make fire, the Pemelites were capable of faster than light travel. And Mark mm -hmm. was just like, I noticed Axe's tail twitch a little at that. <laughs> um, and the, when Pemelites first visited Earth, um, humankind was still apes, like pre Neanderthal. Uh, very, very old species. Mm -hmm. Um, so Eric takes them over to some like quiet area of the park and projects a hologram of a different world, a world with, uh, huge mushrooms and weird three legged animals and, uh, cotton candy trees. Um, and these weird dog people that I'm, they're just anthro dogs. <laughs> uh, Two-legged creature that stood maybe four feet tall. It had long, floppy ears and a muzzle. It looked weirdly like a dog that could walk on its hind legs. It looked, in fact, a little like Eric when he dropped the hologram and showed his true self. This is proof that you couldn't make right the Animorphs now, because one, we would have had Vorgags. <laughs> and two, one of the kids would have gone, so they're furry. <laughs> 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 yeah <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. like I just, i'm just imagining having access to the vernacular of now but with these stories and i'm just like it's probably for the best <laughs> yes um but we get eric explaining his creators who were the pemelites um who sound dope who sound dope. The Pemelites were not interested in conquest or in interfering in the lives of other planets. They enjoyed life. They loved to play. They loved games and jokes and laughter, and they had been a fully evolved race for so long that all the harsher instincts were gone from them. They had no evil in their hearts. They had no evil in their souls. Um, I found this hard to believe, but as I watched the hologram around me, it was possible to believe that on this weird planet, the Pemelites had found some deep inner peace. Um, and Eric explains how the Chi were originally made to be toys to play with. Um, the word Chi means friend. Uh, uh, they were to be companions, an artificial race, but not uh, for work or to do jobs. Um, they taught us to laugh and play. They loved it when they were able to create androids who could tell a joke. There was a celebration that lasted a year. Uh, and then the Howlers came. Uh, the Howlers came out of zero space, thousands of power powerful ships. They come, 
They had come from clear outside this galaxy. The Pemelites had no idea who they were, and they never found out what the Howlers wanted. The Howlers made no demands. They just attacked. Maybe that's all they wanted. To destroy. What Eric showed us next was like one of those horrifying films from World War II. Pemelites hunted from the air. Pemelite space stations blown apart. Pemelite ships sliced open and helpless Pemelites left to drift through cold, dark, dead space. The scenes of massacre just went on and on. I noticed Cassie was crying. I think I was crying too. It was too horrible. Almost the entire race of Pemelites was wiped out. A few hundred, hundred Chi and a few hundred Pemelites left the planet, escaping in a single ship just seconds ahead of a new wave of Howler attacks. We escaped into zero space. We had no plan, no idea what to do. Why didn't you fight back? I demanded. I mean, you talk about how advanced the Pemelites were. If they could create androids, they could create weapons. Eric looked at me and nodded, like he agreed. The Pemelites had forgotten the ways of conflict and war. They were creatures of peace. They'd forgotten that there could be such a thing as pure evil. That answer just frustrated me. It made no sense. But I let Eric tell the rest of his grim story. And Eric talks about how uh, that they discovered as they ran through zero space that the Howlers had released a bioweapon on the Pemelites. And the Pemelites were getting sick and dying, um, even though the Chi were unaffected being androids. Uh, and then they remembered planet Earth um, that was similar to theirs. Um, and so they go back there. In the 50,000 years since the Pemelites last visited Earth, uh, humans had grown from wandering tribes of primates to creating cities and domesticating animals and planting crops. When we landed on Earth with just six Pemelites still clinging to life, uh, and Eric talks about how they couldn't save the Pemelites, they would die, but they did rescue some part of them. Uh, we hoped we could keep their hearts, their souls alive somehow. We looked for an Earth species we could use to harbor the essence of the Pemelites, their decency, their kindness, their playfulness and love. Wolves, Cassie said, once again way ahead of me. Eric looked surprised, but he nodded his holographically projected human head. Yes, they looked most like the Pemelites themselves. We grafted the essence of the Pemelites into the wolf species, and from that union, dogs were created. To this day, most dogs carry within them the essence of the Pemelites. Not all, but most. Wherever you see a dog playing, chasing a stick, running around, and barking for the sheer joy of life, you see the remnants of the race of Pemelites. That's why all these dogs are here, Jake said. They're your, what, friends? Creators? They are our joy, Eric said, because they remind us of a war world without evil, the world we lost. The we Chi are all that is left of Pemelite technological genius. The dogs of Earth are all that is left of Pemelite souls. You know. <sighs> uh, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. Um, and it's, it's definitely told in such a way that you feel the impact of it. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. as silly of the con- as the concept of all dogs are just this alien race that these androids grafted onto wolves. As silly mm-hmm. as that concept is, the way it's told here is definitely poetic mm-hmm. and feels right. Mm-hmm. Especially because they don't just say, yeah, you know, all dogs are Pemelites. Like, it's, no, there's this glimmer within them mm-hmm. that is true to their spirit. Yeah. Um, and here we have kind of the central conflict of this novel that, uh, where where Marco speaks up during Eric's story. Because... Uh, as we go into the next chapter here, uh, we learn that since then, the androids were uh, have just lived as humans. They play the role of children, then grow older, and eventually our hologram is allowed to quote-unquote die, and we start again as children. And this has been going on since the pyramids. Uh, Eric mentions that he helped build the Great Pyramid. Um, He says that they never interfere in human affairs, um, and uh, we get this mention of how strong yes he is because he had to get he was new at pretending to be human because the uh, the Pembleite homeworld's much uh, stronger gravity, Mm -hmm. Uh, so they're incredibly strong. Yes, is an important fact that will come up later. Yes, Um, and Uh, but and he says how he was a slave. Yes, not. He and um and Jake points out like you could have taken over Egypt, mm-hmm. you could have taken over the world, in which Eric is like, no, we are not the Yerks. You see, when our creators made us, they hardwired us for non-violence. We are not capable of hurting another living being. No chi has ever taken a life. Uh, and then some other chi show up. And Eric is unhappy about it and is proceeded to get uh, slightly chewed out by some fellow Chi because he's like, what humans and Andalite, what have you told them? And Eric's just like, everything. <laughs> um, and we find out that Eric wants to get involved with the war, right. which is very anti the sentiment of a lot of the Chi because they are programmed for nonviolence. Mm-hmm. They don't interfere with human affairs. And Eric's position is that we stood by helpless as the Howlers destroyed the Pemelites. We can't stand by helplessly and watch this world be destroyed too. Dogs and humans are intertwined. They have evolved a dependency. Dogs cannot survive without humans. If the humans fall to the Yerks, we, the last great masterpieces of the Pemelites and the dogs, their spirit homes, will all die too. Uh and then we t- I gave Jake a look. That's why the Chi wanted to help humans, to save dogs. Jake shook his head slightly in amusement. Um, and this other Chi, whose human name uh, is Maria, is that they don't kill. Uh, mm-hmm. And that Eric is going against all of their beliefs by doing this. Um, and Eric explains how he and his friends have been infiltrating the Yerk organization and that the, we find out that... Um, the Yerks think Eric is one of them and how they have in- controlled a computer company called Matcom, which gets uh, Mark a couple of seconds to remember. And he explains that the Yerks are working on a master computer to basically rewrite all of the software on Earth yeah, uh, to destroy all computers. 
And he explains that the reason the Gurks are able to do this is because they have a Pema-like crystal. Yeah. Which is basically a super technology MacGuffin. Um, it, Eric says that if they had the Pemalite crystal, if the, if the Chi had the Pemalite crystal, they could rewrite their own internal systems. Uh, do you understand now? We could erase the prohibition against violence. We could be free, free to fight. Um, the other Chi, Maria, is horrified. Yeah, absolutely the, horrified. Yeah. Um, and he, and you can't, and like, you can't do this. And Eric's just like, if we get the crystal, there's little we can't do. And he's like, with our strengths, joined with the Animorphs, the Yerks would have to double their forces just to contain us. And Axe, very, how do you convince the Yerks that you are one of them? And Eric reveals that he has a Yerk, uh, imprisoned inside him. Yep. Inside uh, a little chamber in his head. Wrapped mm -hmm. in cables, unable to escape. Uh, and uh, he uses his own internal power to generate Candrona rays to keep the Yerk alive. He still goes down to the pool every three days, projects a hologram mm -hmm. of Isia going into the pool and then returning. And they don't notice because Yerks don't communicate very much in their natural state anyway. According to Eric. According to Eric. I hate when Danielle says like stuff like that because it means I know they know things. Um, <laughs> they know things. Um, and he explains that the um, this crystal is being held in a uh, ludicrously OTT security system that's very cool and how it's concealed in a room of absolute darkness, which is said twice. Faintest <laughs> light will set off the alarms and how there's these thin wires thread out, uh, set off by the slightest touch. Mm -hmm. Cassie, of course, is the one who's just like, um, and that has already sussed out how they could get through it. Yeah, because Marco's like, how the fuck are we supposed to do that? <laughs> and Cassie's like, well, yeah, I, um, I have a way we could do it if we want to. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so we have that, which we'll get to in later. But, um, and we have, again, and I said the central thesis, I guess, of this book, um, is we and they're just like we could help them and cassie's mm -hmm. thing but we if we want to and marcus is like of course we want to why wouldn't we want help and maria's just like you don't understand chi don't do this and says to marco why humans and yurks and andalites and hawkbajir and a million other species on a million worlds warred and slaughtered and conquered we remained at peace would you end all that would you make us killers too to which Mark says, yes, ma'am, I guess I would, I said a little coldly. We're in a fight for our lives here. Our parents, our brothers and sisters, our friends, they are all going to be slaves of the Yerks if we don't win. So I'll do whatever it takes. If you'd fought all those thousands of years ago, the Pemalites would still be alive and you wouldn't be living with dogs in a big underground kennel. He doesn't mention his father on the interest of sharing. So he's like, I didn't want to make this personal. Just like, kind of already did, Marco. But, yeah. <laughs> and Eric is just, Eric is there just like, yes, this Marco speaks. <laughs> yeah. Just like, he's like chiming to a sentiment that Eric already believes. Mm -hmm. And Jake's just like, yeah, we'll get the crystal. And because like, Marco's right, the Yerks have his brother. There's nothing I won't do to get him back. Yeah. Now, I want to now have a port, like, I, or we can save to the end, like, the position of the chi 
and Marco's readiness and like Maria being like, you would make us killers. And yeah. my whole thing is technically this is about giving agency to make a choice because yeah. it's real easy to be a pacifist if you literally can't hurt somebody. Right. It's like way to absolve yourself of making a choice. Yeah. Whereas yeah. arguably what Eric is doing is already helping the effort. Mm-hmm. But we can get more into that. But reading that, I was really just like, you would make us killers. Sort of like, um, not actually. Yeah. <laughs> this is like giving a means to make that choice for yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there... There is a little bit of an of a unspoken understanding here that if they get this crystal, it's so that the chi can help them in this war. Mm. Um, which, you know, Jen brings up the really good point later, doesn't mm. have to mean hyper violence. Mm. Um, but yeah, think yeah. things to put a pin in for which we'll discuss later because it it all comes mm-hmm. to a glorious head and we need to talk about it. Yeah. Um, yeah are this this idea that the chi are completely nonviolent mm-hmm. um and yet eric is keeping a yerk trapped in his head mm-hmm. uh and this yeah, conflict for, for of whether or not to of do violence it. yeah uh-huh yeah but, uh, so we'll we'll come back yeah so they come up from the basement and eric's like do we have a deal i'm just like yeah no sounds good unless we have any um objections and cassie's the one who says let us talk it out and as they're going upstairs uh where there's a noise coming from upstairs and they realize oh we've been down there for a while rachel has uh, come to rescue us <laughs> and eric's just like i don't think that's a problem and mark's just like you don't know a friend they get upstairs like yelling for rachel to chill the fuck out like the animals yep. say fuck um <laughs> There is a bet. The front door has been ripped off this house. Rachel in Grizzly Bear is like roaring. And uh, Eric's father, the Chi, has got her in a full Nelson. <laughs> Just like wrapped around the shoulders of a Grizzly Bear holding her still. Um, and Mark is just like, now I've seen everything. And Axe is just like, you Chi are very strong. Excellent. <laughs> this was the understatement all the time. And Rachel's like, where have you been? I waited as long as I could. I figured you were dead or something. And if you don't have a good explanation, you will be dead. Uh, which is just very good. Jake introduces Rachel to Eric. Um, and it's, how can you wrestle a grizzly if you have to be non-violent? It's just like, of course, my father here knew she was not a true bear and he only held on to her. If Rachel had been strong enough to win, my father would have had no choice but to allow himself to be destroyed. I laughed. I see why you would want to change that. I expected Eric to agree. Instead, he looked a little sad. Yes, he said. Just that one word. And um, Marco has a conversation with Eric quickly before he leaves. And um, just like uh, says that he knows that Eric was at his mum's funeral and they hadn't didn't think he'd said thanks since. And Eric is prepared to tell Marco about Vissa One. And Marco is like, I already know. Mm-hmm. And Eric's impressed that they know so much. Um, and there's this, this moment of, did you know? And Marco's like to Eric, did you know? And Eric's just like, yeah, I knew. I might have been able to save her if, and he made it to save her. And there's that unspoken, like, yeah. So, but, and then we have, but payback is going to be very painful for those filthy slugs. And again, yeah. one of those moments where we see the emotion leak mm-hmm. into what Marco's sentiments are. 
On the way back to Cassie's barn, they fill in Rachel and Tobias, uh, what all they learned. Um, and then they kind of have the debate about what to do. Uh, mm -hmm. Rachel is for it, um, because the Chi are extremely strong. They have technology that the Animorphs don't. They penetrated the sharing. They would double our chances. Cassie is against it, unsurprisingly. Uh, what right do we have to interfere and destroy the thousands of years of peace this species has had? Didn't you hear, Maria? No chi had ev has ever taken another life. You want them to be saying a thousand years from now that no chi ever took a life until we made them killers. Marco uh, is extremely frustrated with, with Cassie. What I don't want a thousand years from now is for people to be saying, too bad about the humans, they ended up as dead as the Pemelites. Um, Axe is also uncomfortable with, uh, this case, uh, where, you know, the Andalites aren't supposed to interfere in the lives of other species in general. Um, but besides that, the Chi are a different species older than Andalites. I feel badly helping another species to become violent. Um, and Rachel probably, uh, at least to my read, uh mm -hmm. self-defensively uh look no one likes violence all right but we didn't ask for this war with the yurks when the bad guys come after you when they start the violence they leave you no choice fight or die uh and, and marco is agreeing. is agreeing look at the pemelites they didn't fight they died all gone no more scratch a whole species now their essence whatever that means is stuck inside dogs and their robots feed them extra kibble yippee that worked out real well for them. And even that's better off than will be if we lose to the Yerks. And Rachel talking about law of the jungle, you eat or get eaten. Um, which is also interesting coming off of last book and Cassie's mm -hmm. whole moral quandary regarding that. But then mm -hmm. Tobias is the one who kind of pushes back at that. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice if that wasn't the law? And Marco says, you know, how can you take that attitude? You're a predator. Uh, and Tobias says, yes, I know exactly how it is. That doesn't mean I like it. Look, the Pemelites were wiped out, maybe because they didn't fight. Maybe they'd have lost even if they had fought. We'll never know. But the Chi have lived for thousands of years. I know they're androids, but they're a species too. They've survived without killing. Doesn't something about that make you jealous? Don't you wish we could say the same? Don't you wish Homo sapiens could fight the universe and honestly say, we do not kill. We don't enslave. We don't make war. I don't make the rules, I said. I didn't start this war. Humans didn't start this war. Look, I don't want to make this personal, but I know the name Matcom. My dad is involved in some work with them. And the other day, Tom came, uh, was on to me to come to the sharing and bring my father. The sharing is targeting my dad, and we know why. Uh, so for me, it's simple. If we take this Pemelite crystal, maybe my dad isn't involved with Matcom anymore, and maybe the Yerks find someone else to invest. No one had an answer to that. I knew they wouldn't. And then Cassie goes off into the barn and comes back with the creature that she knows can allow them to do this mission, uh, and it's a bat. Um, I like this detail that we know earlier Marco was holding back from bringing up his dad because he didn't want to make it personal mm -hmm. and now he brings it out when there's opposition mm -hmm. uh because and th it's the sentence i knew they wouldn't have anything to say to that 
that makes me think he brings he he was holding on to this trump card Mm -hmm. and now plays it because he knows it's the way to get what he wants essentially that's the thing about pulling your punches when you land one they tend to land yeah it's like people who are very insightful don't like to lash out because when they do they can say really hurtful things because they pick up on it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm one of those people, like, if I'm very upset, I've been known to be very nasty. And I mm-hmm. don't like that about myself at all. Mm-hmm. One of my least favorite things. But I know I have the capacity to do it. And it's like that good old sentiment of um, demons flee when a good man goes to war. Mm-hmm. Which is one I love so much. I think so good. Mm. Moffat's run. We're not getting into that. I love Rory Williams and I will fight a man. Um, <laughs> but the notion, and I feel like Marco falls under this, as does Benny, is Marco holds himself to a high degree. Mm-hmm. He has a lot of rules for himself because he needs them. Mm-hmm. Because yep. he knows he can do stuff like that. Yep. Because he knows how to win the argument. Mm-hmm. He knows how to get the result. Yep. It's what makes him so good at his role and what makes him... I think he sees that in himself. Yeah. I don't think he likes it. Why else would he pride himself on being the funny, cute one instead of the smart one? Mm-hmm. To loop back to where we started. So... And now he's going to be Batman. And now he's going to be Batman. Uh. So they plan to go next weekend, like a week from now, next weekend, uh, to infiltrate the uh, building, the Matcom building. Uh, but surprise, surprise, something goes wrong and they have to go tonight. Um, uh, they uh, basically Eric calls Marco at his house and says, hey, you know that thing we were going to do next weekend? Why don't we just do it tonight? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I knew Eric wasn't calling on a whim. Something had gone wrong. Uh, and so he calls up Jake and they all meet back at the barn um, and Eric meets with them. Um, and Eric says that uh, the Yerks are putting in a brand new security system on top of the existing systems. Um, and he doesn't think it's active yet, but he can't find out what it is or when it will be active. Um, and Tobias is like, all right, well, we'll just wait until you can get the details. And Eric's like, well, the crystal's already so well protected that any new system may put it beyond our grasp for good. Um, which is easy for you to say when you're not the one going in, Eric. Uh, mm-hmm. and but he, he does also have a valid point about what they're planning to do with that crystal. Yeah. And you do not want them to get there. Yes. Uh, and Eric's going to give them all the information he can. Mm-hmm. So, um, and like they know this is the bad situation. This is late. This is an evening thing. This could be real bad. And Jake offers everybody the chance to go or don't go. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rachel says go, but with a lot less enthusiasm than usual. A lot less. Um go i said but personally i can't blame anyone who wants to sit this out cassie gives me a dirty look i guess she uh, gave me a dirty look i guess she took it personally i say go she said i don't sit anything out marco um to, but i'm not in this to i said i'm useless on this mission so i don't vote 
and I go where Prince Jake goes, X said. And so, okay, we go. Um, what I find interesting, actually, I picture this is why is Marco giving that option of an out mm-hmm. and Cassie being mad at him about it? Mm-hmm. And I was noticed that on the first time around because I think, because obviously we can't pick up a tone on that. Right. There, there isn't any uh, mm-hmm. description given to it. Yeah. I don't take that as him thinking less of anybody that doesn't want to. I think he's being genuine. Like, because he knows what it's like to be scared and to want to sit out. I mean, but it's easy that he maybe could be making a tone. I can't blame anybody who wants to sit this out. Mm-hmm. And what occurred to me just as uh, you were reading that out, when I was reading it, sorry, it's like Cassie giving him a dirty look. And so I don't sit anything out, Marco. And what hit me was she doesn't want to be given a choice because mm-hmm. she can then start second guessing. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because as we go on and Eric starts explaining, and after about two minutes, Marco was ready to change his vote. Mm-hmm. So, but they'd already made the decision. That they've made the decision. Yeah, uh, I love this description. We made our deci- We'd made our decision, and our is emphasised in the text. Um, and it was as if we were being swept toward a waterfall, like a bunch of canoeists who'd lost their last paddle. We'd survive or not, but one thing was sure: we were definitely going over the edge. Cue Mission Impossible music. Yeah. And this whole mission is, like, it's really cool. Mm, this is brilliantly written. Uh, I love this. They fly as owls to the Matcom building. Yep. And they're going to uh, sneak down in through a pipe. Um, Cassie's the one that remembers the correct corner of the mm-hmm. building when Marco gets it wrong. Uh, Axe finds it very funny that the guys don't automatically know the compass directions, which is, you know, amusing. <laughs> and we have this, they're going to, Axe and uh, Marco are going to spider man in and create threads for the others to climb down, except mm-hmm. as Cassie points out, it's the female spiders that do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but, um, so they do that. And uh, Marco points out um, when Rachel says about their being ugly that they're going to be cockroaches, so really mm-hmm. they can't judge. Yeah. And um, the boy, uh, Axe and Marco head down, spinning the silk. Uh, yeah. Marco comments that's disgusting, and they're kind of enjoying it a little bit. Yeah. Like, it's just like it was totally Spider-Man. And they realize they can only get so far. They can only produce so much webbing mm-hmm. or so much silk. And then they have to drop the rest of the way, and it sucks. <laughs> um, but Rachel notes that Marco's being sarcastic about it, so they must be fine. So the others <laughs> join them. Rachel suggesting that Marco breaks her fall. Um, and then they're making the way through the vents. Some yep. has points out about it being the furnace, because mm-hmm. um, it's for the heating. It's part of the furnace system. So they're making their way through the vents. They hear something coming and realize that there is a rat in there with them. Uh, so they start running. Yeah. Uh, Cassie points out they can't morph back here because there's not enough room. Mm-hmm. We've all seen what happens when they try and morph in places that are too small. Yep. And end up in the actual furnace part itself. Yep. Um, with uh, the flicker of a pilot light above them. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, it is currently off, but as they're making their way through the furnace, they hear the hiss of gas mm-hmm. and they narrowly um, make it to the other side. I think like the, the it's implied that like the thump of the flames igniting causes enough of an updraft to toss Marco and Cassie the rest of the way. Yep. But everyone is fine. Um, appreciate it. Jake, uh, he plows into Jake and Cassie plows into him. And Jake's just like, Cassie, Cassie, are you okay? And she's fine. She's a road rider. I'm okay too, you know, just in case anyone cares. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they make their way through the rest of the system. Yep. Uh, and get the, to the dark room. Yeah. They go through a series of switchbacks that prevent any stray photons of light getting through um, and drop down into the room. They have to stay within two feet of the wall in order to prevent uh, setting off any of the pressure plates in the floor. So they drop into total darkness. They morph back to human and and a light in total darkness. I'm not entirely sure how Axe manages to stay within the two feet, but mm-hmm. good for him. Uh, they all demorph. Um, and there, there's a lot of exposition up here about just how fucking dark it is. Mm-hmm. Um so dark that your your brain starts to make shit up because it can't deal with it. I feel like in this one they kind of dismiss the whole it's actually very taxing to go between morphs rapidly. Mm-hmm. And considering they've gone from human to owl to spiders yeah. and roaches to human to bats. Mm-hmm. And they're about to go from bats to human to something else. Yep. Like, I appreciate that the morphing between isn't quite as rapid as we saw Cassie had to do, mm-hmm. but also that's a lot. Yeah, frankly, um, so it could potentially um, speak to them getting better at better. it. Yeah, um, point. but yeah, it, it's something that uh, mm-hmm. comes in most when it's needed for plot. Dramatic, yeah. <laughs> um, but they they morph bats. Um, echolocation is super fucking dope. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marco gets egged on into going first, so he does. Yep. Because he's that person, but makes it. And it's yep. dope. It yep. is genuinely dope. Um, yep. And the crystal is no bigger than a grape. Yep. They could carry it out. But the problem Except- is... <laughs> <laughs> they can't carry it mm-hmm. they and echolocate because yeah, they would the have only to way carry, they it in their carry it. Yeah. Uh, and everybody's just kind of like, well, like, shit. <laughs> that's, fuck. That's, that, oh, shit moment <laughs> is, uh, and Axe just like, I believe our plan now has somewhat of a flaw. Yep. And Cassie invokes the irony gods, which is very mm-hmm. good. Uh, but that's not important. Um, but at the end of the day, they realize, so we're going to have to bust out. Yep. This is important enough out. to fight our way out. So they know how to get out. And so battle morphs. Yep. Um, it's like, Jake, we have this thing. Morph out. This is from Jake. Sorry. Morph out. Keep that direction in mind. Remorph and be ready to haul butt for the door. See, that just sounds dumb. It needs to haul ass. <laughs> Let the animorphs swear. Um Head for any way out of this building. Don't stand and fight. Just try to force your way past anyone who comes after us. 
It was times like this I was glad Jake was our so-called leader. We all knew what we had to do, but somebody had to actually say it. And boy, was I glad it wasn't me. And we get another reference to movies, which feels very much directly like a Saving Private Ryan reference, frankly. Mm -hmm. Given that we already had like Lord of the Rings, and I know that first film was like around then. Yeah. It's a, it's a but, D-Day reference. It's Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they morph, and Marco is the one to uh, carry the crystal, as he, aside from Axe, is the only one with, like, a hand mm-hmm. capable of carrying it. Yeah. And the, uh, Rachel, of course, leads the charge out, sets yep. off the alarm, rips through the door, and yep. they're running. Uh, and they make it into kind of the lobby of this building, the last room before the exit. Uh, escape was just a hundred feet away. Freedom, life. And all that stood in our way was 20 men, human controllers armed with automatic rifles. And behind them, two dozen or more hork warriors. Rachel's bear had very poor vision, especially in this dim light. Hork she asked. Yep, I said. How many? Too many. Way too many. Uh, the alarm is still going. The human controllers all ready their rifles. Um, then one of them steps out front. One of the human controllers steps out front um, and basically gloats like, haha, Visser 3 will be so happy that I captured the Andalite bandits. Um, and it's the crystal. Because surrender, you can't escape. Yep. Surrender, you can't escape. Uh, Marco holds up the crystal, and the woman is just like, give it to me. <laughs> and he's like, no. <laughs> uh, and so she, uh, she, she's, this woman is clearly savvy enough. Yes, she's picked up apparently on a bit of the monologuing vibe. <laughs> um, but yeah, and they point out, you cannot destroy that crystal. And gets all the humans to lower their guns. Yeah. Like, yes, the odds that a bullet hit it are astronomically low, but the consequences of that action are would be absolutely horrendous. Um, but she's not worried because the hawk are there. Yep. 24. 24 hawk Remember when they destroyed the Candrona and there were, what was it, uh, 12? Yeah. Were there 12 uh, hork And that was uh, a battle that they should have lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, now there are two dozen. At least a dozen more than we had any hope of defeating. And yep. just beyond them, behind the glass outside, is Eric. Eric, who can do nothing at all to help them, who is helpless to do anything but witness our slaughter. I felt like throwing up. The fear was all over me. The fear was surging through me, washing over me, drowning me from inside and out. We were going to lose. We were going to die. And life, any kind of life almost, is so much better than being dead. Uh, and then the woman says to attack. And this, and it's this, brutal. It's this so is... brutal. And we have. Marco getting not fully disemboweled again, but his stomach does get cut open enough that he can see his insides. Yep. And um, they're just like, okay. Um, yeah. But there is screaming. There is, we see, everyone's doing okay at first. We see Jake 
closing his jaws around a hawkbajir's face. Rachel opening up a hawkbajir like someone cleaning a fish. Mm-hmm. Like Cassie with red foam flying from her muzzle, axe striking again. And But very quickly, it's clear they're losing. We just hear distress from all of them. Uh, like it was all one combined thought speech scream and still the alarm howl. And Marco is aware that he's dying because he yep. gets stabbed in the heart by a hawk bajir. Gets he crawls his way to the glass. Yeah. Because he, he punches, realizes he, Yeah. Yeah. So he realizes good. he wasn't so far away. But Eric is on the other side of the glass. So he punches through it takes him a couple of hits to be fair. But he punches through the glass and he feels fingers pry open his hand with the last of his strength. And then later, much later, someone slapped my face. Morph back, Marco, morph back. So he does. And he wakes up and he is outside and he's in human morph. Everyone is there in the human morph except Axe, who is in Andalite morph. Tobias is there and Marco can hear somebody crying. And uh, Marco is beyond relieved to be (laughs) alive. He says, Mm -hmm. you know, he exclaims that he was so close to being dead. And Jake tells him he was dead, uh, that Eric gave him an electric shock to start his heart again. Um, And uh, Marco realizes that Eric is the source of the crying. Um, And then we get the description of what happened when Marco was unconscious. Where are we? I ask. Little bunch of trees just down from Matcom, or what's left of Matcom. How did we get here? How did we get out of that place? We were toast. Cassie came over and sat beside me. You saved us by getting the crystal to Eric. He used it. He rewrote his programming. He's the one who... She looked away. He... He took care of the hork Rachel said. I saw some of it. I was still conscious. I was confused. How did Eric take care of the hork He destroyed them all, Axe said. I almost laughed. Eric took out two dozen hork No one laughed with me. Eric had stopped sobbing. I thought, why would a robot cry? All the hork Axe said. All the human controllers. All of them. I stood up. I could see the Matcom building. It was only a few hundred yards away. There was a big hole in the front glass. I had a very bad feeling about what was on the other side of that glass. All I could think of to say was, All of them? It lasted about ten seconds, Rachel said. She closed her eyes, trying not to remember what she had seen. But I guess the images weren't easily shut out. She opened her eyes again, and to my utter amazement I saw tears. That's what brought the horror home to me, Rachel's tears. It was extremely brutal, Axe said, very brutal and very swift. He carried us here. He revived you. He even reattached my arm. He hasn't said anything since then, Cassie said sadly. He won't talk to any of us. He saved us, though, right? I said. Yeah, Cassie agreed, smiling a deeply sad smile. He saved our lives and lost his own soul. I hate that so much. Yeah, it's bad. I hate that so much. Uh, So before we go over to Eric... Let's let's sit here in the magnitude of what Eric has done. Mm-hmm. He killed 
44 people in 10 seconds. Slightly less given how many the the, the few that the animals managed to kill, but that's still like a, a lot in yeah. a very small space of time. Yeah. Uh, that's, that is so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sheer level of brutality required mm-hmm. to accomplish that. Uh, really, like, I don't envy the nightmares Rachel's gonna have. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, or Axe, for that matter, because it seems like he saw a lot of it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Cassie being fucking... It's such a holier-than-thou vibe. Yes. Yes, that's it. That's exactly what it is. I also, like, I'm not trying to be, like, dismissive. Like, as people that know me know, I love artificial intelligences, like, non-human intelligences. It's one of my favorite things in fiction. But for Cassie to ascribe a soul to an android, mm-hmm. like, that's in putting a, not only a human morality, but a human way of conceiving existence. Yeah. And it's gross as hell. Mm-hmm. It, it vibes like a Christian saying, they'll pray for me. Mm-hmm. Just like, don't do that. No. I get why. No. Yeah. You don't. And this is, Cassie does this all the time. Mm-hmm puts her in her understanding of morality and uses it as a filter by which she perceives everything else. Yeah. And also to imply that that this moment of hyper-violence is what costs him his soul. Mm Mm-hmm. As if... An act of saving life. Yeah. Like... And, like, Rachel can hear her saying this, too. uh Uh-huh. She sure can. Rachel, who... I get is crying, which is just like th- nothing quite like seeing the consequences of your own actions. Uh-huh. Like Rachel seeing that kind of brutality, the things she is willing to do. I feel like in that moment, I'm punk. She's crying for herself mm-hmm. in that moment because she realized she might be looking at going, that's horrible. And then the back of her head going, and I would have done the exact same thing if I could. Mm-hmm. Because we know Rachel would have everything up to this point. Like the last fight with Hawk Bajir, uh-huh. her arm got ripped off and she was still fighting. Uh-huh. And to have her best friend turn around saying, killing things makes you lose your soul. Yep. And maybe Cassie is projecting a little bit here and feels like she's losing something of herself in this war when they kill people. But that is not how it reads. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I am so angry at Cassie, and I'm mad at Kay Applegate for making me feel this angry towards a 13. <laughs> <laughs> that is fictional. Yep. yep. Well, I hate that kind of moralizing, especially when it's unjust. Yes. It, in my mind. Somebody might consider like killing any kind of person to be anathema at all, but I'm in the let's punch Nazis camp, so mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> I don't care for that attitude. Yeah. yeah. Like it's it's one thing to say, you know, a thousand years of pacifism and then he did this. Like that would be one thing to Yeah. To to yeah. put it in perspective that, that way. That would give it weight without judgment. Right. 
um, that the first thing that he did when when given this opportunity, the, the first the first thing he had to do when mm-hmm. given this choice was mm-hmm. kill 40 people. Um, yeah. And like the fact and maybe part of that is because like Marco then goes over and because as I said, Eric is an android, but he chose to make his human projection cry. Mm-hmm. But also, like the visual is there. There's no reason why the emotional state isn't true of sobbing, right? Because he can laugh. They were programmed to. Ha- they were designed to be able to laugh and tell jokes. So why wouldn't they be able to feel? Mm-hmm. We see in the flashback they were horrified and devastated. Um, when the creators, the name has completely gone out of my head because I'm the still mad. Thank you. Mm-hmm. When the Pemalites were dying. So there's no reason why he can't grieve. But the right. fact that he makes the choice to see, or maybe he doesn't, because as Marco says, he doesn't know what the connection between the android and the projected human body is, mm-hmm. which is a real interesting observation, and I like that that's made. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Marco goes over to ask, you okay, man? And uh, the expression answers the question. Yeah. And then we have this conversation. And it's so good. Um, Mm -hmm. I might just read this. Yeah, because it's no. Eric was not okay. You saved our lives, Eric. I said. How do you? How do you live with the memory? He asked me. I knew what he meant. See, win or lose, right or wrong, the memory of violence sits inside your head. It sits there like some lump you can't quite swallow. It sits there, a black hole that darkens hope and eats away at everyday happiness like a cancer. It's the shadow you take into your own heart and try to live with. I shrugged. I guess I try not to think about it. I try and forget. And after a while, the nightmares don't happen as much. Eric put a finger to his head. Android, he said. He made a bitter, ruined smile. I can't forget. See, I can't forget anything. I looked at him. Already in my own human mind, the memories of that night's horror were fading. The flash of blades and the pain and the sickening feeling of my fist closing around the Hawk-Bajir's throat. They were being covered over by scar tissue. What if I could never forget? What if all those memories were fresh forever? I realised then why the Pemalites had forbidden their creatures to kill. The Chi lived forever. Forever was a long time to remember what Eric had done. I'm sorry, I said. Eric nodded. Yes. He held out his clenched fist, palm down. I knew what he was doing. I didn't want it. But I held out my own hand and took the Pemolite crystal from him. I've changed my programming back, Eric said. We. I. Maybe at times I can tell you things, information. But I'll never fight again. I can't join this war, my friend. He walked away. We went to our homes and crawled into beds our parents never knew we'd left. I was beyond exhaustion, but I couldn't sleep. Too many images, too many memories, and I was afraid of the nightmares. There are evil things in life, and I guess there are times when a human being has to fight those evils. I closed my eyes and wandered, lost and afraid, through my nightmares. And already my mind was forgetting. 
jump cut, mood whiplash. <laughs> to a week playing later. Playing frisbee. Yep. Playing, playing frisbee, frisbee on the beat. And uh, they're talking about things, but not talking about things. Um, they comment yeah, on... Way. <laughs> they comment on how... Uh, whether dogs understand the point of frisbee, uh, <laughs> which to be fair is very good. I am yeah. here for this discussion. Yeah, <laughs> Jake says for them the game is I throw, they catch, they bring it back, they get a good head scratch, then they give up the frisbee. <laughs> uh, and the dogs are playing and running around and being goofs. Um, and Marco says it must have been a nice place. Jake knew exactly what I was talking about. Yeah. A planet where the people were as sweet and decent as dogs. Yeah, that would have been okay. Uh, Marco says how he ran into Eric the other day and was given a phone number that is completely safe from the Yerks that they can use as a, kind of a dead drop for messages. Um, and that the, Marco still has the Pemolite crystal. Like, he has it in his pocket, and he doesn't know what to do about it. Uh, the Chi don't want it. Eric didn't even want to talk about it, but it's the most, most powerful computer ever created. Um, and then they they kind of stand there and look at it for a second, and then they look up, and Homer and the other two dogs that Homer was playing with are standing right in front of them, um, watching them with a uh, preternatural kind of intelligence. Uh, Marco holds out the crystal to show the dogs. Homer takes it out of his hand, but doesn't swallow it, just holds it in his teeth. Um, and then they go, the dogs go and run down the beach and they run into the surf and splash and play in the water and swim and have dog fun. Uh, and then when they come back, uh, the Pemolite crystal was gone. Uh, and then we kind of end the book with that thought that maybe someday the Pemolite crystal will wash back up on some beach someday, somewhere. Maybe by the time it does, we'll be as wise as the race that created it. Um, and that's the end of the book. And that's the end of the book. So. Uh, as I said to Danielle before uh, we started recording, I think it was, it's all a blur. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't make a whole lot of notes reading this book because I was very into it. It was hard for me to turn away to make to type something. I just wanted to read it. Mm -hmm. I feel it's for all my frustration with elements of it. I do feel it's one of the more one of the most compelling ones that we've yeah. read so far. A good yeah. page turner. Yeah, it's a very strong book. Mm. Um. So, the we need to talk about the chi. We need to talk about the chi. <laughs> uh, as Jen mentions or, uh, in one of her comments that she wanted us to bring up, um, I'd be interested to hear how y'all would have liked the chi to be used in the series. We're basically shown two extremes of how the chi can be part of this war. One, totally pacifist. Spies, bringers of info, etc. And then on the other hand, we see Eric as the super powerful, ultra-violent warrior. Why is there no in-between? Um, and Kit mentions that uh, 
maybe it's supposed to be a lesson. You can go too far to the other side. Pacifism can be bad too. Um, and I think we learn a good deal about the chi and about the chi uh, kind of mentality here. And we'll continue to learn more about their specific interaction with their own programming mm -hmm. and how they kind of come to define that. Um, because the chi definition of pacifism is kind of wibbly. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, none of them have been doctors because they can't perform surgery on people because they can't injure someone. Right. Huh. Uh, but also they can hold a yerk in solitary confinement inside their head for God knows how long. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is, you know, solitary confinement is known to be just one of the worst psychological tortures. Mm -hmm. uh, and not only that, but it's sensory de deprivation, solitary confinement. Um, mm -hmm. And like even Marco comments at the when he sees it at the like, like, hey, that's kind of messed up, yo. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we get this weird kind of dichotomy of their definition where it seems for the most part their definition of pacifism is physical harm mm -hmm. like they can't cause physical harm to someone else um and we'll also see how they can be blackmailed because of that oh that sounds great uh <laughs> and and so they'll be used not only as an information source but also um kind of exploited in that way by the anamorphs in time um as jake becomes more and more desperate um and it's one of the big questions i have about this in particular is what eric would have done if this had not been his introduction to being able to do violence. Mm -hmm. Because I think if his introduction wasn't, I have to kill 40 people, mm -hmm. then he might have stuck it out a little longer. Yeah. Um, might have been able to find that middle ground of, this doesn't have to be so brutal. Um, but he wasn't given that opportunity. And therefore, we are left with these quote-unquote pacifists. And some of them clearly do feel are more like, I suppose, completely pacifist. And they, mm -hmm. they do not get involved at all. Yes. It's like Eric's faction who are involved in the war but are restricted in their ability to physically harm. Mm -hmm. That's where things get muddier. Because I don't think you can call yourself a pacifist if you're involved in a war effort. Mm. And I'm not saying that as a judgment thing. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're involved, then... But then I suppose there are differing definitions of what pacifism is. Right. 
So, and I don't kind of like the connotation that the only way to be useful in a war is being able to do violence. Yeah. Maybe you're a more versatile soldier if you can do violence as well as other things. Mm-hmm. But I, I forget who said it originally, but the whole thing about um, all that needs for evil to succeed is for good people to do nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That Eric is already making a choice Yes, to be involved. He and Jenny and the crew that we don't have seen named, the, uh, the Chi, sorry, not mm-hmm. the crew. I was watching a thing earlier. Um, yeah. They're already making a choice to be involved. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, they want to have the choice. And that's where it comes down to for me is to like, to take the fucking restriction off to then be able to have a choice to do so. And then it becomes a thing that, oh, and this is literally just occurring to me. So I apologize if this is <laughs> garbled as hell as I say it. In the same way that once Marco was in that wolf spider and able to hunt, mm-hmm. being unable to do any violence against something when you are so angry and yeah. then the reins being suddenly taken off mm-hmm. and it explodes out of you. Mm-hmm. Like, they've been in on Earth since the ancient Egyptians. They have seen the horrors that humans can do. They have seen great injustice and have sat back and just watched it happen and played with dogs. Which, you know, as a life choice, I can't fault wanting to play with dogs. But then suddenly to be involved in this war, to see what the Yerks are doing, to know what it means and being able to physically act on Mm -hmm. it and then suddenly being able to. Yeah. And like, how long... Has he has Eric been alive to and he knows that they're children. Mm-hmm. And him being angry enough in that moment to destroy something he believes to be evil to save their lives. Yeah. Is so much. Yeah. And I don't I su- this is why I'm so angry about the no soul thing. Yeah. Because he did something for them. Mm-hmm. And then I suppose it becomes an issue of when is it okay to do, quote, bad things. And now I'm thinking about Drumbot Brian from The Mechanisms, who has the two modes. Ends justify means, and means justify ends. Mm. And it, it determines his behavior protocols. It's very good and interesting, and there's some fun fic out there. But it's I feel like it's about choice. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're saying about the lesson about going too far the other side that Kit made the point just like when somebody isn't able to do something and then suddenly is able to this is why people should be given the choice from the jump yeah because otherwise stuff like that can happen yeah Rachel gets access to fucking dangerous things and then can destroy stuff yep I don't think that Eric gave back the crystal because he was not just because he was horrified at what he did, mm-hmm. but in the knowledge that he would do it again. Exactly. He doesn't I, want to be able to do it again. Yeah. 
I don't want to say it's cowardly because that is putting a judgment on it. I don't want to give it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's like it's it's clearly paralleling Marco, mm-hmm. the things that he could do and doesn't want to be able to because he knows he would. Mm-hmm. Marco has Jake. Yeah. To keep him in line. Yep. And Eric can take refuge in knowing just like, I don't want to be the person that can do that anymore because I know I could and I know I would. Yeah. So I'm going to take the choice away from me again. Yeah. And I'm going to take the choice away from the other Chi. Yeah. To save them having to make that decision. And I suppose that, I suppose, in a way, is showing arguably the wisdom. I think Marco, again, when it's just like, if you have to live forever, mm-hmm. knowing with the knowledge of your actions, mm-hmm. not being able to forget it, yeah. I wouldn't, I don't think I'd want somebody to have to remember horrible things forever. Yeah. I don't remember if it's canon or not, or if it's just fanon, uh, mm. but there is a strong suggestion and definitely in fanon it is explicitly stated but i can't remember if it's suggested in in canon or not uh that the chi share memories oh. in in the way that you know like they're all interconnected mm. through whatever computer system they use type yeah. thing mm-hmm. and so they all have access to this memory um oh boy. uh which which implies that not only has eric does eric have to remember this forever the others do as well the others do as well and they'll never forget um and there's some really, really great fic that digs into that, and I fucking love it. Um, mm-hmm. But that's not what oh. we're here for. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> we'll get to the end of the Escafils, and then we're going to start reading noteworthy fic. And oh my god, can we please that. do that? <laughs> we, we can absolutely do that. We'll absolutely do that. Like, the Escafil files will continue. <laughs> Fanon edition. Um, yeah. But yes. Um, but yes, yeah, so we should re- revisit Joel's question. Yes. Um, the last book recaps um, about um, how the second set of books sets up complications and struggles and what the characters will continue to face going forward. Yep. And I suppose, yeah, what we've seen for Marco in this is he will, he is prepared to do dark things. Yes. Especially in defense of his family. Mm hmm. Absolutely. And and him struggling with not only that decision to go through with those things, mm-hmm. but also with all of the emotions that come with it. Yeah. And struggling between keeping his father safe and wanting to rescue his mom. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. Yay. <laughs> yeah. It's it's one of those things like we've talked about Cassie, like the more time she has to be aware of possibilities, the more she's paralyzed by the choice. Mm-hmm. I feel like for Marco, it's like 
like you were saying earlier about that A to B, seeing things clearly. Mm-hmm. When you know all the stuff, it can be really hard to ignore it mm-hmm. once you know it's there. Yeah. Like sensory overload, autism, like not being able to switch off that part of your brain that takes in the information mm-hmm. is hard. Yeah. He's almost the inverse mm -hmm. of Cassie because the more he Mm -hmm. thinks about it, the more ingrained that one particular path Mm -hmm. gets to him. Like, well, Mm -hmm. this is this is the way this is the only way to Mm -hmm. achieve this result. And I feel like that kind of certainty, especially if it's something dark, Mm -hmm. is just as terrifying, if not more, as being paralyzed by indecision. Mm-hmm. that's oh like there's something unavoidable about it and i think we we get that a lot with like the jumping down into the pipe and then mm-hmm. letting go not knowing how far you're gonna fall mm-hmm. but knowing it's the only way mm-hmm. that's so upsetting and good and upsetting it's twice as upsetting as it is good so <laughs> <laughs> but yes Good book. I'm fan. Yes. What was your favorite part of this one, Danya? Uh, mm, I think it's a tie between his conversation with his dad and just like the whole mission at the end. Because mm-hmm. the whole mission at the end is just—it's so fucking cool. It's one of mm-hmm. like my go-to memories of animorphs missions because it mm-hmm. is so striking mm-hmm. um it's very good and interesting and they fe- mm. they feel very on their game yeah being good uh, at what they do mhm yeah uh but oh. the conversation with his dad is just so heart-wrenching <laughs> yeah i i really liked both those so i also really enjoyed Eric explaining like the visuals and the cinematicness of that. Mm-hmm. Like it's horrifying, but also like it felt very powerful. Yeah. And like the story of the Palamas is just like that's a lot. And it was very good. And the way it was delivered felt very moving. Mm-hmm. The fact that we were able to care so quickly about them. Yeah. It it makes you forget that he's talking about basically anthrodogs as well. <laughs> Cause it's I think it's something that'd be so easy to just be silly. Yes. And the fact that it's given weight and heart speaks credit to the writing in yes. this one. Mm-hmm. The problem is when writing really good, the bad bits or the frustrating bits are extra frustrating. Cause like, I know you'd be better than this. <laughs> Why? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um. So, second question. We'll do my one second. But uh, anything that you'd forgotten was in this book, or caught you off guard on the reread, or that maybe hit you harder this time around. Um. I don't think so. I think I had a pretty strong memory of this because it is Mm -hmm. one of the more striking books. Um, and a lot of like really important information comes through in this. Um, Mm -hmm. maybe 
I thought the bit about um where his dad talks about he and his mom's relationship mm-hmm. um getting better after she was yerked. I maybe thought that was came along a little later, maybe, but mm. um I don't think I remembered the bit where she sat up and told him not to do military shit. Um because mm. that was chilling. Yeah. <clears throat> What about you? Did anything surprise you? Aside from dog aliens. <laughs> and it turns out the, domestic- the domestication of wolves in this universe was not in fact humans, but in fact alien consciousness being infused with wolves by androids. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of a swerve. <laughs> Won't lie. Wasn't something I was expecting, despite having met a chi in Dumb Kids. <laughs> because we didn't get a conversation with Alma about, yes, so here's the deal with my people and where <laughs> we came from. It does make it hilarious, though. No wonder they like Adrian, given what Adrian's <laughs> signature morph is. That's uh-huh. just become so much funnier to me. How were you not cackling the whole time? <laughs> Truly, your GM powers are great in that you just don't cackle to yourself about inadvertent in-jokes that get created as we go. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and any parts that didn't make sense or you didn't understand. Just frustrated, I think, at Cassie in that moment and just some of the choices for how they're portraying the chi, I guess. Yeah. But it's frustration more than I can I can understand it from a 13-year-old kid who's got a pretty black and white view and likes to categorize everything as predator and prey. Mm-hmm. Like having spent last book with Cassie, I can understand where that comment came from. Yeah. I just don't like it. Yeah. At like, all. Tobias is right fucking there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like your friends <laughs> are there. <laughs> what the fuck, Cassie? Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> what is that? That reminds me of something. Oh. I don't know. That's a I don't like that reminder. That's dumb. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> no, Scratch it, rem- it from the record. <laughs> it reminds me of Twilight with Edward and he's like, I don't wanna I don't wanna turn Bella because then she'll go to hell like I will. And it's like, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> God. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. We're done. We did a thing. We did do a thing. Uh, join us next time for number 11, The Forgotten, and time travel shenanigans. Time travel shenanigans. Uh, <laughs> wicked. That just yeah. reminds me of the whole thing where I desperately want uh, Doctor Who Animorphs crossover because Marco meeting Donna Noble and the Doctor is just... I want this. I Anywho. may or may not have a work in progress sitting on AO3. You are a gift to the universe. <laughs> uh, anyway, my co-host has been Danielle. You can find them on Twitter at RedtailedHawk90 as well as the games they write at RedtailedHawk90.itch.io and you can find their home podcast 
uh, the room where it happened at RoomwearPod. Uh, you should go listen to that. It's actual play. It's uh, Appalachia in space. Appalachia, sorry, in space. I'm English and <laughs> have a weird mouth. I'm sorry. Um, but you should listen to that. It's good. And things are going real bad right now, apparently, with lots of bad dice rolls. It's very good. <laughs> l- l- uh, listen to it. <laughs> yeah. And my co-host has been Jade. You can find them on Twitter at JadeOxfordRose. You can find their home podcast, Follow the Leader, at FTLCast on Twitter, uh, which you should definitely go listen to because they play a whole lot of really awesome GMless tabletop games and have some of my favorite characters ever. Uh, our, um, oh, uh, season two of that starts beginning of February. And given the yeah. lack of backlog where we've caught up with ourselves, uh, the opening uh episodes of season five of follow the leader uh has danielle guesting on it yeah so uh you should ex- an extra reason uh to come listen and um please come listen to dumb kids playing hero the second season is starting at the beginning of february it's gonna be sad it's gonna be <laughs> so sad it's gonna be so sad oh my god <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's uh, DKPH Pod on Twitter. If you aren't already listening, I know we talk about it a lot, but it means a lot to us. Yeah. So, all right, uh, uh, let's let's do a clap. I guess let's do a clap. Let's do a heckin' clap. Twenty five. Like, why can't I see a clock? It's because I'm in a different thing. Yes, twenty five. Twenty five. <laughs>